I will be reading from Genesis 37, 1 to 11, New Living Translation. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zipla. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles gathered round and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king? Do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he said. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come to bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. The word of the Lord. Wow, Sam, that was awesome. Ah, set that guy apart, he's going to be a preacher. Morning, everyone. Uh, joy to be with you this morning. Marnie, you have to get a little more enthusiastic if you're going to stay around here, I'll tell you. Wow, isn't she full of life? And uh, happy Raptors Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. I hope you are cheered on and blessed uh, and encouraged on this day. Second time I was a dad, uh, we, were, we were very close to not making it to the hospital on time. And I stressfully drove as, just as fast as I possibly could to the hospital, pulled up right in front of the emergency, and Marg was given a wheelchair, and the nurse said, active case. They whooshed her away. I signed her in. And it was so active that I didn't get to the labor room on time. And when I got there, I met little Janelle Marie McDonald for the first time. And I was proud to be her dad. And she has set a fast pace for us all of these years. 
Every once in a while, we have a hero that emerges uh, in our modern times. It's terribly refreshing and clearly inspiring. And we are, we are stimulated with a new freshness to pick up the pace. Martin Luther King has inspired us through, through the years. Billy Graham, now in heaven, has been inspirational. Dallas Willard has made an impact on many of our lives. Mother Teresa, so many through the years. And you know, we're actually looking for heroes in our day to lead us forward and to inspire our hearts to move on to greater things. Why do we like superheroes? Uh, basically because they represent the best of humanity. And people are drawn to the ideal of good people doing good things for humanity. And we kind of live vicariously uh, through these stories. So we stand uh, today on summer's edge and uh, we are anxious to put our arms around a man who inspires us. He is one of these uh, great men from the Bible and his name is Joseph, as Sam has read the story so well. For the summer months, we're going to keep coming back to these concluding chapters of Genesis and we will look from all sides at this amazing servant of God. We've got a num 12 Sundays to do that. And I'll tell you right up front that he is one of the great men who energizes us simply by the way he lived his life. Found faithful. Found faithful. Who says that your life can't make a difference now and in the future? Your children and your grandchildren can look back on your life and be inspired. Isn't that the legacy we want to leave? You no doubt we're following the celebration of D-Day last week. And most of our vets who were present at D-Day are now an average of 96 years old. Uh, most of them are gone. Uh, no doubt this is the last time to visit that landscape, uh, the beaches of Normandy, the place where the war was, was no doubt won. But how amazing to see these old soldiers now and, and see them with their children and with their grandchildren. Lots of photo ops. But uh, how inspiring and how energizing they are to their families. And you know who inspires me? This man, Joseph. He has for many years. Uh, you have the biography of his life in this awesome book called the Bible. Joseph inspires us. We're much richer because of the inclusion of these chapters in the Bible. And Romans says such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us and the scripture gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Such things were written long ago in order to teach us. The point is that we can learn from those who have lived so well in the past. Now there are tons of things uh, that Joseph teaches us. We're, able, we're, we're so blessed to be able to, to walk with him and watch what he does. Uh, watch how he interacts. Watch how he forgives. Watch how faithful he is. Watch how he knows his God. It's so powerful. So let's just kind of step into the streetcar, grab a little strap, and let's take a ride 
into Joseph's world. Clarence Edward McCartney, the beloved Presbyterian pastor, once said, everyone's life has the making of a novel. Everyone's life has the making of a novel. For sure, I would love to read your novel. I'd love to read your novel. And Joseph's novel has been told and retold uh, through the years. First of all, his birth. His story begins in Genesis chapter 30, 22 to 24. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph, for she said, May the Lord add yet another son to my family, which of course would be Benjamin. So Joseph was the answer to Rachel's persistent prayers. When Jacob was a young man, he fell head over heels for the love of his wife, Rachel. She was beautiful inside and out. And Joseph, or Jacob, asked for Rachel's hand in marriage. And Rachel's father, as you remember the story, said, Yes, but on Jacob's wedding day, he did a bait and switch. And Jacob woke up the next morning after the wedding day, and here it was Leah, <laughs> Rachel's sister. Now, every time I read this account, I smile, and then I gulp. Oh, my goodness. How in the world? And Jacob worked another seven years for his father-in-law so that Rachel could also be his wife. Not the best start to family relationships. We would say today, that was awkward. But Rachel was barren all these years, but her sister Leah was bearing children. And that too was awkward, and that too was heartbreaking for Rachel. And through all of this time, Rachel is on her knees, and she's asking God over and over again to give her a child. One, to remove the stigma of not having a child, and second, so she could invest her life in her children, so that as they grew up, that would be her legacy, and she could invest in the next generation, similar to all of us. And Jacob was starting to get up in years when Joseph was born. Jacob's original name, do you remember, meant deceiver. And in fact, he was. He, he deceived his brother, Esau, he ran off to the east, probably 600 miles away, to escape Esau. And there he met his extended family, the famous Uncle Laban. And Jacob spent a considerable amount of time under the tutelage of Uncle Laban, who actually was a pretty good match for Jacob because they both had this deceptive streak ingrained into their lives. And Jacob learned from Laban <clears throat> a lot of things uh, maybe some more negative than positive, but either way, he learned, and he learned from the school of hard knocks. And the story is that Jacob wrestled with God on one occasion, and it was all part of the shaping process for Jacob, and his name was changed to Israel, which means God strives, a name given to him after he wrestled with God and held on to him and asked for a blessing. 
His new name was a great improvement over his old name. Deceiver, indeed. So an aging father and a mom that wasn't mom for very long because uh, on the way back home to Canaan, Rachel gave birth to a second boy and his name was Benjamin. The very sad part of all of that story was that Rachel died in childbirth and Joseph was very young. And Benjamin, of course, was just a baby, an infant. But this was a crushing moment in Jacob's life. His beloved wife was dead. And here he was with two boys from Rachel and the other children from Leah and her handmaids. And when Joseph was born, Jacob seemed to get a new lease on life for a while. Older fathers sometimes do a second take on life when they have children. There's this whole new incentive that comes to rearrange their lives somehow. Now, I don't know what really happened inside of Jacob after Rachel's death. Maybe, you know, logically, maybe he, he just turned all of his affection toward Joseph because Joseph was a tangible memory of Rachel. And maybe he forgot that he had a baker's dozen of kids in the family and that they all needed equal attention. Something happened. Something happened for this dysfunction to come in. But this is the story of Joseph's birth. And you wonder how God's going to take this situation and turn it all around. And Joseph, in extraordinary ways, uh, does some amazing things in his life, which you already know because you probably know the story. But, but I thought, aren't you glad that our homes don't to be, have to be perfect before God can use us? Aren't you grateful that God can bring us forth from certain dysfunctionality in our home environment and he can use us? Oh, we may need to be tutored in another school, a school of hard knocks, but through it all, God is shaping and forming who he wants us to be. There are so many people, by the grace of God, who have overcome the limitations brought on by their past. They're in your lives, too. They've had tough things happen to them. And God can take us from whatever situation you find yourselves and he can give us a powerful new start in life. And because we've come through the valley of hard knocks, we are ready for God's assignment so we can keep moving on. There are people who have followed God faithfully and they have been struck by hard things. And yet God gives them a restart because they trust him and they're faithful to him. The life of Joseph reminds me of another person. When he was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality. He, as a seven-year-old, had to go to work to help support the family. At the age of nine, his mother died. At 22 years of age, he lost his job as a store clerk. 
He wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in, in a small store with another gentleman. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him a huge debt that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and she said no. At 37, on his third try, he was elected to Congress, but two years later, he failed to be reelected. At age 41, his four-year-old boy died. At 45 years of age, he ran for the Senate and he lost. At age 47, he failed as a candidate for vice president. At age 49, he ran for the Senate again and he lost. At age 51, he was elected president of the United States of America. And his name was Abraham Lincoln, a person many people consider to be the finest leader the U.S. has ever had. Just because your life has had a hard start doesn't mean a thing. God has more waiting for you. Just trust Him with your life and say, Father, I'm yours to be used up as you will. Who would have imagined what God was going to do with Joseph's life? Secondly, his turbulent teens, Joseph's turbulent teens. Verse 1 indicates that Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. When he was 17 years old, he had the responsibility of looking after his father's sheep. And the Bible says that he worked for his half-brothers. And when you think about it, those half-brothers must have been 10, 15 years uh, older than he was. And maybe Joseph felt like he was the teacher's pet right from the get-go because he reported to his father some of the bad things going on with the older brothers. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. And you know that multicolored robe became the focus of the animosity. That silly robe, in, in so many ways, that silly robe, it didn't need to be. It represented an unfairness in the family. And it was perpetuated by dad. There's no hiding it. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. You might be reading a coat of many colors. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved them more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. You know what else that coat meant? It really meant nobility. It meant a sign of nobility. Oh, Jacob, don't do that. Don't set one of your sons up as nobility and send the rest of your boys out in the pasture to, to tend the sheep. This is a crash and burn idea. It was just a convergence of bad judgment. Jacob to favor his sons and Joseph to bring a bad report about his brothers. I mean, it just was one layer upon another. And underneath, 
the pot of water was boiling on the stove and it was boiling and boiling and you knew it had to blow. The lid was going to blow off. Now to make things worse, Joseph had a dream and Joseph shared his dream. You know what, folks? You don't have to share everything that God gives you. Not until it's the right time. Maybe God just wants to give you the message. And you need to be discerning if you pass this forward. Or you just leave it tucked in your own heart. You have to be discerning of that. Joseph is growing up. He's not a mature leader at this point. We get that. We get that. Ten years later, five years later, Joseph would have never made this mistake. But that's what happens in the lives of young leaders. It happens in all of us. We say, why did I do that? That was crazy. Why did I make that move? Sometimes we learn only by hitting our head against the wall. And we just have to do that a few times and we say, I think there's an easier way. But Joseph shared his dream. Listen to this dream. He said, uh, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Oh, Joseph, I know that's not your heart, but that comes across very arrogantly. And that's not going to win friends and influence enemies. He should have just stopped in his tracks and he said, Oh, no, no. Wait, I got another one. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. And his father piped up because he's computing that he was the sun and maybe Rachel was the moon. And the 11 stars were all these guys, these brothers listening to the story. And maybe even, maybe even Jacob was thinking at this point, Joseph, cool your jets. But his brothers were seething. Oh, Dad, read the rest of the people in your family. They were jealous of Joseph. This was the perfect opportunity for Jacob to level the playing field and pull his family together and say, we're a team, we're all together in this. But as so often was true in his life, he was passive. He doesn't deal with that situation. Doesn't it remind you of Eli and his sons? Especially when young Samuel was placed under the care of Eli and God had to bring judgment on Eli's house because of of his passivity to the boys who were tarnishing the reputation of, of dad but also of the priesthood. Maybe Jacob thought, well, ah, that's just the way we are as a family. That's the way we roll. We'll just let it out there and see what happens. Did he not see the anger in the hearts of his older boys? He he must not have. Next week, Pastor Adam is going to take the next paragraph and we're going to see his unwise move in sending Joseph to go check on his older brothers as they pastured the, 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 the sheep out in Shechem. And if I were Joseph, I would say, I'm not going near to those boys when I'm not close to my dad. But Jacob didn't get it. You know, these boys are the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. 
This is our heritage. These are the 12 tribes uh, of, of, uh, of Israel. That can either encourage you or discourage you. I so appreciate the sovereignty of God. We don't have to have it all perfect for God to do his work in our world. But what a bunch. <laughs> Look at their background. Look what they had to contend with. Look what they had to grow up with a father that didn't seem to understand them. Oh, praise God for fathers and for mothers who grow wise in their care for their children. They read them well. They understand their hearts. They listen to their silent cries for help. They sometimes are very directive. And sometimes they just listen. And they pray. And they know their kids. And they love them. And they walk with them. And they journey along. And, and the kids know above all else that they're loved. That they're loved. And they're safe. And even if your kids say to you at times as mine have, but I'm your favorite, right? Uh, uh, you know, every, yeah, that's other girls. They're nice, but I'm your favorite. You just remind them that all of your kids are your favorites. And uh, you know what? When it comes right down to it, these boys are not angry at Joseph. No, they're angry at Dad. It looks like they're angry at Joseph. But really, they're angry at Dad because they haven't felt heard. They haven't felt loved. They haven't had some boundaries drawn for them, boundaries which are good, so they have freedom within the boundaries. It's good to have boundaries. James Dobson tells a story. He writes, In the absence of parental leadership, some children become obnoxious. And defiant, especially in public places. Have you ever noticed that? Our kids have this sense that they can act out in public places, and there's not much we can do because they got us. And he gives the example of a 10 year old boy who was a patient of a certain doctor. And the medical clinic dreaded whenever Robert, the 10 year old, would come into to the clinic because he would just run all over the place. He would destroy the clinic. He would take the files and spread instruments around and take the phone off the hook. And you couldn't catch that little cyclone. And his passive mother would just, uh, I don't know what to do with him. The doctor brought him into his office and observed that there were some severe cavities in Robert's teeth. And he knew that the boy must see a dentist. But who would he send Robert to? I mean, who would be given the honor of Robert's presence? So a referral could maybe end the professional relationship. He decided to send him to an older dentist who purportedly understood children. And so the appointment was all set up, and as Robert arrived at the dentist's office, everyone was set for the battle because they'd all been prepped that Robert was coming. And as he came into the dentist area, the dentist said, Sit down, young man, in the chair. Robert said, not a chance. I'm not sitting in that chair. Son, he said, I told you to climb into the chair. That's where I want you to be so I can work on your teeth. If you make me get into that chair, I'll take off all of my clothes. The dentist calmly said, take them off, son. 
The boy forthrightly removed his shirt, his undershirt, his shoes, and his socks, and then looked up in defiance. Okay, son, get up on the chair. You didn't hear me, Robert said. I told you, if you make me get up on that chair, I'll take off all of my clothes. Son, take them off. Robert proceeded to remove his pants and his shorts. Finally, standing completely naked before the dentist and his assistant, he looked back at the dentist. Now, son, get up on the chair, said the dentist calmly. Robert did as he was told and cooperated through the entire procedure. When the cavities were all drilled and filled, he was instructed to step down from the chair. Give me my clothes back, said the boy. I'm sorry, the doctor said. Uh, You can tell your mother we're going to keep your clothes tonight, and uh, she can pick them up tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) And it gets better. Can you comprehend the shock when the doors opened uh, to the waiting room, and there stood Robert in his birthday suit, just as naked as the day he was born. And mother and son walked through uh, the exit doors into the public elevator, out into the parking lot, And the next day, the mother retrieved Robert's clothes. She asked if she could have a word with the dentist. I'm sure she did. But she did not come to to put him under the bus. She said, you don't know how much I appreciated what happened yesterday. He has been blackmailing me about taking off his clothes for months. When I'm out in the store, until I buy him what he wants, he threatens to take off his clothes. You are the first person to call his bluff. The impact that this has already had on Robert is incredible. I am so thankful that someone stood their ground with him. Oh my, when I read this, the first thing I thought of was the dental assistant, male or female. (laughs) Who was this? Now, I doubt any of us have had this experience or near to it, but when you boil it all down, What is this about? Knowing that we love our children enough to give them boundaries. And we do it in love. We listen and we pray and we treat everyone the same and we ask God for wisdom to know how to put a safety net around our children through love and parameters and prayer. No, it's never easy. It's the hardest job in the world that we have as parents. Passive fathers and mothers tend to favor the child who is easiest to raise. It's difficult to raise a child who's who's hard to raise. I mean, that's just normal. Joseph was easy, easy child. And so Jacob went into passive mode, and he didn't have the energy to deal with a group of grown men, his sons. They needed his love even at this point in their lives, and they needed his attention. They needed it all through their lives. Everyone in the family needs dad's love. And as our children grow older, they're still our children. They're still our children. And they still need to know that they're loved and they're supported and they're encouraged. Oh, and what do you do with the dreams that your children have? You know, Jacob really needed a a do-over, a mulligan. But maybe if he had a do-over, he might have taken another tactic. You know, dreams are usually specific, and they're personal, not private, not public. 
And God doesn't give anyone else my dreams on a public computer for others to read. He gives them to you personally. He gives them to me personally. And if you share your dreams with the crowd, they probably won't understand. But hopefully, mom and dad will. So I just want to say, hear the dreams of your children. You can massage the dream, but don't kill the dream. What could be more precious than a dream? And if God is giving the dream, listen well to the Holy Spirit as you also listen to your child. You see, it was a dream. And that vision that God gave Joseph as a teenager shaped his life. And he never forgot it. And he saw the hand of God in it as he interpreted it year by year by year. Don't disconnect the dream at the beginning of Joseph's life with the rest of his life. That dream also set the stage for his entire life because he couldn't begin to see it at the beginning. Hey, you don't know what's coming your way. Wow. We have a number of people, three people who are going to be baptized now. And, you know, what's God stirring in their hearts? What's God stirring in their hearts? How will he use them? Oh, won't it be exciting to see God has dreams that he's putting into their hearts? Pray for them. Encourage them. Fan the flame with dreams. Joseph started to grow his faith at home, a home that was less than ideal, but hold on. God still worked in a sovereign way, and he matured Joseph so that he could say toward the end of his life to his own brothers, And am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of so many people. Way to go, Joseph. Let's stand together. Lord, thanks for this awesome servant, Joseph. Thanks for your sovereignty and grace. Thank you that we have the privilege to reflect upon this man and learn from him. Thank you for the hopes and dreams you give to us all. We pray that you would grant much wisdom to our dads and uh, to our moms and to our siblings. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,